Good morning. Um, as Jim said, I'm Morag. I'm one of the home group leaders here, and it's my privilege to uh, be able to speak to you this morning. Um, after our Christmas break, um, we're now returning to our sermon series going through the book of Acts. It's been a wee while since we were in Acts, and there might be people here who haven't heard any of the other talks, so I will attempt to bring us up to speed. So this is the previously in Acts section. The risen Jesus teaches the disciples for 40 days about the kingdom of God, promises them the Holy Spirit, and tells them that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit comes just as Jesus promised on Pentecost, when the disciples speak in different languages and Peter preaches to the crowds and thousands come to believe in Jesus in one day. And a new Jesus community is born. The new community meets together, eats together and worships together. And there were signs and wonders happening among them. A particular healing brings Peter and John to the attention of the authorities. And we start what has been dubbed here at Kingdom Vineyard as the prison hokey-cokey. In, out, in, out, and shake it all about. It also starts a pattern of people coming to know Jesus and then the opposition from the authorities. There are so many new believers. They need to appoint some more leaders. In particular, to the Compassion Ministry for food distribution. One of these leaders is Stephen, who we are told is full of God's grace and power. He was also performing signs and wonders, which again, hacks off the authorities. That's a bit of an understatement. He becomes the first martyr, the first person to die for his belief in Jesus. He was stoned, and a young man named Saul, also known as Paul, was there and approved of the stoning. After this, the believers are scattered due to persecution. We see the words of Jesus coming true as Philip evangelizes in Samaria and miraculously appears alongside an Ethiopian's chariot at the perfect moment to hop in and explain from the scriptures all about Jesus. Meanwhile, Saul slash Paul has been on a mission of his own to arrest and imprison believers wherever he finds them until Jesus finds him on the road to Damascus. And we see a dramatic turn of events in Paul's life as he meets the risen Lord for himself and goes from persecuting believers to teaching about Jesus wherever and whenever he can. Paul heads off to Tarsus for a bit, and meanwhile, Peter is traveling around and has a vision, which has been dubbed, thanks to Jesse, as the floating forbidden meat sheet. This is where Peter is taught not to call anything or anyone unclean that God says is clean. And immediately, he's invited to go to the house of a Gentile, Cornelius, where he tells them about Jesus, and they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. So now, both Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles, are hearing the good news, and we hear of a large number of converts in Antioch. The leaders in Jerusalem send Barnabas, our son of encouragement, 
to check it out. And he finds a diverse, multicultural, thriving group of believers, and they start to be called Christians there. Barnabas goes and gets Paul from Tarsus and brings him to Antioch, where they teach for a while before the church sends them off on their first missionary journey. Can we have that first slide, Phil? You can see the map there. That's chapters 13 and 14. And we now see another pattern emerge where Paul goes to a place, preaches in the local synagogue, where some of the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles come to believe in Jesus. The local leaders get jealous and start up trouble, which lands Paul and his companions in prison, getting beat up or tortured, and eventually have to leave town for their own safety or for the safety of the other believers. This pattern is interrupted by a trip for Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to settle a dispute about how Jewish non-Jews have to be to be Christian. <laughs> the decision was to tell them to abstain from food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from blood and the meat of strangled animals. Paul and Barnabas have a fallout regarding one of their traveling companions and go their separate ways for a bit. Paul is now traveling with Silas, and they are shortly joined by Timothy. The Spirit says no to preaching in Asia, and then the Spirit says go to Macedonia. A bit more prison hokey-cokey, a bit more preaching and getting run out of town, brings Paul to be on his own in Athens, which is where we last left him. And if that was all a bit of a blur and a bit too quick for you, all the podcasts are available on the Kingdom Video website. So we pick up this morning at the start of Acts chapter 18. And I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 17. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people." And he stayed with them a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, 
the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Well, let's start um, off by placing ourselves on the map. Can I have the next second one? Another load of arrows. Um, we left Paul, as I say, he was speaking up in Macedonia, the top, top left corner, um, when he got into trouble again and ended up in Athens. So he's now gone a relatively short distance to Corinth, and if you could have the next map, you could just zoom in a little bit. Uh, you can see where Corinth is there. Corinth was uh, a cosmopolitan city, and it had great commercial importance at this time. Um, it had two seaports on each side of the narrow bit of land that you can see just beside it. And what they used to do was across that piece of land, they could haul the boats across, which saved a lot of traveling round all the way around and stuff like that. So it was of huge um, commercial importance. There was a lot of trade going through that town. It was also a Roman colony. Try that again with my own teeth. It was a Roman colony and very proud of its Roman status. So Paul meets up here with Aquila and Priscilla, a Jewish couple who've been expelled from Rome. Now, the Jewish religion was tolerated to a certain degree by the Roman authorities. But because of rioting in Rome, the Jews have been expelled out of the city. Aquila and Priscilla have ended up starting a business in Corinth. They are tent makers. But we're not just talking about the leisure and tourism market here. They were most likely skilled leather workers, um, which there would be a great demand for in such a commercial city as Corinth. And this is a skill that we now learn that Paul shares with them, and he teams up with them, either as partners or he might simply have been hired by them so he could make some money. It's a phrase you might hear in Christian jargon sometimes. They say, what do you do for tent making? And what they mean is, what are you doing to finance maybe a missionary trip or some sort of ministry? And Christians, we're a weird bunch when it comes to jargon. But anyway, that's where the tent making comes from. It's Paul using his skill to earn some money. And I have discovered that Jewish rabbis were what we would call bivocational. They had two jobs, their teaching job, and usually, like Paul, another practical skill. This enabled them to preach the word of God for free. In some of the letters Paul writes, we can see that this was particularly important to him. He's keen not to be a burden to the fledgling churches that he's planting. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 7 and 8, he says, We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. 
On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. However, there were other traveling teachers who expected to be paid for their expertise. And Paul ended up having to justify himself to the people in Corinth who thought his teaching couldn't be worth much if he was giving it away for free. So when he writes a letter to them later on, he says this. This is in 2 Corinthians 11, 7 and 9. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. The brothers from Macedonia coming with support for Paul brings us back to today's passage. Silas and Timothy are these brothers who, when they come to Corinth, allow Paul to concentrate full-time on preaching and to put the tent-making to one side for a bit. As I mentioned in the catch-up, Paul has set a pattern to preach first in the synagogue to the Jewish community, showing them from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ that they were waiting for. But, as in all previous encounters, some of the Jews oppose him and become abusive. And in a continuation of the pattern, Paul then takes that message outside the synagogue to the Gentiles. We are told that he shakes out his clothes in protest and tells them that he is innocent of their blood. He has discharged his responsibility to share the gospel with them. And now it's their choice not to believe. But they should be aware that they will face judgment before God for the rejection of Jesus. This mirrors what Jesus told his disciples to do as they went around declaring the kingdom of God. In Luke 9, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said, Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet and leave their town as a testimony against them. Paul doesn't go far and ends up right next door. And just to rub it in a wee bit further, the synagogue leader and his household become believers. At this point, if the pattern continues, Paul is probably expecting another arrest or a beating and is maybe already packing his bags for the quick getaway. However, this time, Jesus intervenes and speaks very specifically to Paul to tell him to stay put keep doing what he's doing, and promises him that this time it'll be okay. Verses 9 and 10. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. And he stays for 18 months. I've got a couple of theories on this. Maybe Paul had to stay because the conversions were happening more slowly, one by one, household by household, rather than the explosive expansion like at Pentecost. God works in various ways at various times, 
And Paul is sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit to respond in appropriate ways. Or maybe he's longer in the city due to the nature of the city. There's a lot of people passing through on various journeys through this commercial city. Maybe God wants to make sure that the church in Corinth has a solid foundation in its understanding of Jesus so it can pass on well to those passing through. Not that the Jewish opposers then leave Paul in peace. In the next part of the passage, Paul finds himself in court once again. The charge is that he's persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. They leave it ambiguous as to what law they are referring to, Jewish law or Roman law. As I said before, the Jewish religion was kind of tolerated by Rome, allowing them a bit of a protected status, as long as they didn't try to convert others or stir up trouble. Their protected status was precarious. As we saw, Aquila and Priscilla were expelled from Rome due to riots. So the Jews were kind of keen to separate themselves from these troublesome Christians and to have the Christians seen as illegal to Rome. But Gallio, the Roman ruler in the area, steps in before Paul can even speak with his ruling that the charge was not a crime according to Roman law and declared it an internal Jewish matter. So in this region, at least, Christians are also tolerated in the same way by Rome and can worship in relative freedom. And Paul can continue to teach in relative freedom, at least for the lifetime of Gallio. Jesus keeps his promise to protect Paul this time. However, before we can herald Gallio as a hero, he shoots down in our estimation as when the synagogue leader is beaten up by the mob, Gallio doesn't care. This is obviously a violent act, clearly against the law, but Gallio does nothing. He doesn't really care about the law. He probably just cares about a quiet life. Why the synagogue leader is beaten up is unclear, but it may be that he was defending or trying to protect Paul. This may be a fair assumption, as we are told his name is Sosthenes, and he turns up again in the introduction to the letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. It's quite good to know that he survives and becomes a follower of Jesus. I am really enjoying reading Acts. Luke is a great writer. It's quite a page turner. Even when there's a bit of repetition, Luke tends to have a reason or a point he wants to ram home. This book is primarily a historical record. This is what happened. It's not a constitution or a rule book for the church. I actually find it a bit worrying that some people hold up the Acts Church as a perfect example of what a church should be. If the churches mentioned in Acts are seen as perfect, what book have they been reading? They don't sound perfect to me. They have problems, fallouts, and serious persecution. Lord, please don't let us follow that pattern. That said, the Holy Spirit is great at helping us understand more about God 
the kingdom of God, and living as a follower of Jesus from any part of the scriptures. And I think he highlighted a couple of points to me as I was reading this passage. I was thinking about Paul going next door. I have a going next door encouragement and a warning. When thinking about sharing Jesus with people, also known as evangelism, as Paul found, some people will be receptive, some people will be ambivalent, and some will be darn right abusive. But our responsibility is to share the good news, not the response we get. And there may be times when it is better to walk away and to go next door to where your message is better received. God can be very kind in leading us to the low-hanging fruit. People who the Holy Spirit has already been preparing and who just need you to come along to tell them the person they are looking for is Jesus. Our job is to share the good news. God will take care of the response. Let's keep on going next door until our message is received. And the going next door warning. I think a few of us will have been mulling over the message that Jim brought us just after the new year. He was challenging us about our personal relationship with Jesus and how everything else should flow from that. God is on the move. We are sure of that. And all we have to do is be ready to join in whatever he is doing. The way we are ready is by treasuring and nurturing our own relationship with Jesus. The warning I was challenged by is this. What if God is doing something and I miss it and he ends up going next door because he doesn't get a welcome from me? As an individual and as a church, if there's something that God wants us to do to join him in, I do not want to miss out. I don't want him to have to go next door. Make no mistake, God's purposes and promises will be fulfilled with or without us. But we can have the amazing privilege of being involved if we are ready to listen and respond to his spirit. And the only way we can learn to know his voice is cultivating that relationship with Jesus for ourselves. Paul definitely knew the Spirit's voice. Back in chapter 16, we heard the Spirit prevented him from preaching in Asia, then gave him a vision of a man from Macedonia, and Paul immediately heads there. As I said before, the Spirit says no, the Spirit says go. But in today's passage, the Spirit says stay. Paul is used to the pattern, preaching to the Jews and Gentiles, gathering a group of converts, persecution, and then heading off to the next place. He may have a well-founded expectation of this pattern repeating in Corinth. He may have developed a heart of a traveler through his experience, and he's ready to move on. His bag might be already packed. But the Spirit says, stay, keep doing what you're doing, and I'll look after you. We are in a church with a similarity to the church in Corinth. 
we have a lot of people who are just passing through. We share our lives with students and others who are often exploring what's next, to what and to where they think God is calling them. It's an exciting time in their lives and it is a privilege to walk alongside them. But it can leave some of us maybe with feelings of envy, maybe a little inadequacy, or maybe feeling left behind. A few of us struggle when the Spirit says, stay. When he says, just keep doing what you're doing. I believe I was called to give up my job. It was nearly six years ago now. I interned for a year with a church in Northern Ireland. I ran storehouse here for a couple of years. And I believed that God would call me on to the next thing. Perhaps even church planting. I was just waiting for the when and where. This month, I've been a year back in my old job, which the same job that I believed he called me away from. God said, stay. Do I understand it? Not yet. Can I see positives in it? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes the stay put calling is the one that needs most encouragement. For Paul, it came with a promise. I am with you and no one will harm you. The best and safest place for us is with Jesus. To be doing what he asks us to do, being where he wants us to be, but most importantly, with him. I'm kind of with Moses. He says in Exodus, speaking to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. If this is where God wants me, here I'll stay until he says otherwise. So, my challenges from this passage are to be ready and listening to the Holy Spirit through a strong and treasured personal relationship with Jesus so that when he comes, he'll be welcomed and won't need to go next door. And to be open to whatever he asks us to do, including the call to stay and keep doing what you're doing. Please stand and I'll pray for us. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. Holy Spirit, would you be teaching us, even this morning, how to hear your voice, to know what you are saying to us. Feel your encouragement, your promises over us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for 
your sacrifice. That you died for us and rose again so that we could come freely into your presence. We pray now. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen.